I heard, a, heard somebody say this week in, in reference to somebody that was getting a little too old for some activities they were participating in, but they were, they were, criti- they were being a little critical as an individual, and they said they're never going to be 21 again. This individual's a little bit older and was acting like they were young and spry, and somebody said they will never be 21 again. And it got me to thinking that it will never be 2024 again. You get one chance at this year. We get one chance to make this year worth it. We had one chance to make last year worth it. You can sit around twiddling your thumbs if that's how you want to spend your year. You can go skydiving and make it adventurous if that's how you want to spend the year. <laughs> Statistics are on your side with skydiving. We are, because we already know somebody who's been injured doing that. But this year, you can use it. It's a, it's a fresh plate. It's a fresh opportunity. I've been asking the question for a couple months to people with Elon Musk being named. I think he's either the richest person or he's about to become the richest person in the world. And I've asked people because Elon Musk started PayPal. I think that was the first company he started. Tesla. SpaceX. Now he's bought Twitter. And he started a company called The Boring Company. And The Boring Company was supposed to dig a tunnel all the way from Texas to California. And they were going to put in a bullet train underground. What? But the, uh, the project never really caught on, never really made much headway. And so he got, he got out of that project. He's closed on The Boring Company. But Tesla... SpaceX, PayPal are three multi-billion dollar companies that Elon Musk has started. And the question I've been posing to people, because this wasn't all about just building up Elon Musk, but the question I've been posing to people is, did Elon Musk get lucky or did he do something different than the rest of us? With all of his science and technology, to the best of my knowledge, Elon Musk has not yet figured out how to time travel. (laughs) So he's got the same 24 hours in a day that everybody else has in their day. But it's the way he's using it. And so as we go into 2024, I want us to keep in mind how we're utilizing our time, how we're using our time. I'm going to start in Isaiah 55, 8 through 11. And as much as that's kind of the underlying point to all of this, the more focal point that that I'm going to bring out today is trusting God. Trusting God. Isaiah 55, verses 8 through 11 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith 
the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for bringing us together this morning. God, I thank you for what you're doing each and every one of our lives. God, I pray that you help us bring every thought into captivity in these moments, God, as I bring forth your word. God, I pray that your anointing would flow through me, God, that I would speak forth your word and not just my opinions. In Jesus' name, amen. My title today is God Vision. God vision. God's ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. He sees things in a different way than we do, and he sees things that we can't see, and he thinks things that we can't think, and he thinks things in a way that we can't think. That passage in Isaiah continues into verse 10, says, For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and make it bring forth and bud, so that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word that go forth out of my mouth, it shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the things whereto I sent it. So he's saying that when he speaks forth, his word does not return void, but has an impact. It's going to accomplish that which it pleases. It's going to prosper the things whereunto it sends it. When God sends forth his word, it is to build up and to edify. Because he sees things in a different way. He speaks things in a different way. He thinks things in a different way. And we have to learn to yield to that. We have to learn to acknowledge that. Many of you have probably seen video footage taken from a drone or from an airplane driving through the canyon or flying through a mountain range. And you get to see places you've maybe even been before, but from a different perspective. We can look at footage from the ground. Some people, they like to take their camera and they put it on the ground and they'll look at a different perspective from literal ground level of what the world looks like. You see law enforcement using helicopters to track runaway cars or a firefighter can use a helicopter to track where the fires are but in both of these situations you got and more so like as law enforcement you have to utilize the helicopter in the sky to be your eyes they guide you the helicopter in the sky sees things from a different perspective and the cars in the ground and the army on the ground and provides them feedback on what they're seeing to help guide them. We have night vision goggles so that we can see in the dark. We have sunglasses to help us see when it's too bright. When my cousin was going through driver's ed, they had drunk goggles. You put on these goggles and it, it distorts your vision and it shows you what it's like to be drunk and what people see when they're drunk. So you can see through the eyes of a drunk person. We have swim goggles so you can see when you're underwater. But what we need is God vision goggles. We need to learn to see things God's way. We need to learn to understand and follow the guidance that God is giving us. Because his ways are higher than our ways. His plans are higher than our plans. His thoughts are greater than our thoughts.
We need to learn to love the things that God loves and to hate the things that God hates because there's a reason he feels that way towards those things. We have to learn to see things from God's perspective. But we can't always see things from his perspective and we have to trust us when he tells us what he's seen. We have to trust when he tells us what he wants to do. I was thinking about the story of Balaam and Balak. Balak looks out and sees this influx of um, the Israelites as they all came out of Egypt. And Balak was a little concerned. He's like, I don't know who these people are. I don't know what their business is. But I want to destroy them. It's kind of a safe route to go. You know, it's, not, it's an unknown. I don't want them. I don't want them here. Uh, Numbers 22, 2 through 4. And Balak the son of Zippor saw all that Israel's had done to the Amorites. And Moab was sore afraid of the people because there were many. And Moab was distressed because of the children of Israel. And Moab said unto the elders of Midian, Now shall this company lick up all that are round about us, as the ox licketh up the grass in the field. And Balak the son of Zippor was king of the Moabites at that time. Balak saw what the children of Israel had done to the Amorites and was afraid of what they might do to Moab. And so as a defense, he sends his servants to go to Balaam, a prophet, and he says, let's go get Balaam the prophet and let's get him just to curse these people. We're going to have him just curse them and we don't have to deal with these people. God said unto Balaam, thou shalt not go with them, thou shalt not curse the people, for they are blessed. Continues on, and Balaam rose up in the morning and said unto the prince of Balak, Go back to your land, for the Lord refused to give me leave to go with you. And the prince of Moab rose up, and they went unto Balak and said, Balaam refused to come with us. And Balak sent yet another prince, more and more honorable than they. So Balak's trying to convince Balaam to come. This is his plan of defense against the children of Israel. It's not clear to me if Balaam was, or Balak was, was rebelling against God or if he was just very insistent. But sometimes when God gives us direction, we can't make sense of it. Balak didn't understand what was really going on, didn't understand who these people really were. Continuing down, verse 16 and 17, They came unto Balaam and said unto him, Thus saith Balak the son of before, Let nothing, I pray thee, hinder thee from coming unto us. So they go to him and they say, There's no excuse. Don't, don't, have, don't give us any excuses. You're coming with us. For I'm going to promote thee unto great honor, and, I'll do, and I will do whatsoever thou sayest unto me. Come therefore, I pray thee, curse me this people. Balak is telling is told. His princes to tell Balaam, there's no excuses. There's no excuses. So Balak's getting desperate. But Balaam answered and said unto the servants of Balak, If Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. So Balaam's standing his ground. But God came unto Balaam at night and said unto him, if the men come to call thee, rise up and go with them. But yet the word which I shall say unto thee, thou shalt thou do. 
And Balaam rose up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. God told Balaam, hold tight unless they come drag you out of bed in the morning. Balaam gets up and just follows them. And I found this a little relatable because sometimes I make excuses to do what I want to do, even when I know that's not necessarily what God wants us to do. I'll come up with a reason or an excuse and go, well, it's the only thing that makes sense. But sometimes we have to take that step back and go, you know what? There is an out. Where there's a will, there's a way. And if you have the will to say no, God's going to provide you that way to get out. And God did provide Balaam a way to get out. But as the story continues, Balaam is on his way and his donkey gets a little hung up. And Balaam gets in a fight with his donkey. And then the angel of the Lord said unto Balaam, Go with the men, but only the word that I shall speak unto thee, thou shalt speak. So Balaam went with the princes to Balak. So Balaam yields to God at this point and pronounce, speaks forth the words that God asked him to speak. Balaam blesses the children of Israel. Balaam blessed the Israelites. Well, then Balak gets mad. He says, okay, we're going to try this again. And I just copied and pasted this in my notes because Balaam again blesses the children of Israel and Balak again gets mad. And then Balaam again blesses the children of Israel. And this time Balak says, okay, just shut up, stop talking. Because every time your mouth opens, you start blessing the Israelites. But the question I want to ask, wouldn't it have been easier if Balaam had just stayed home? When God told Balaam, stay home, but he gave him a little loophole, he gave him a little exceptions. You can go under these circumstances. And Balaam grabbed onto that and said, well, this is what I want to do. I want to go do this because it's the easy thing to do. When God says no, we have to learn to listen to that. Because Balaam couldn't foresee the mess he was getting himself into. Balaam didn't understand who these people were and the mess he was walking into. We have to understand God's vision. We have to yield and understand that God sees things that we don't see. We have to yield and understand that God's ways are greater than our ways. You look at the story of Jonah. The story of Jonah starts out very quickly. God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh. Jonah's on a boat going to Tarshish. <clears throat> God sends a tempest to bring him to a place of repentance. The whole boat's shaking. And Jonah said, throw me overboard. Jonah didn't have the vision of the foresight to know that a whale was going to save his life. They were too far from land from to swim home. Jonah was sacrificing his life to save everybody on that ship. Jonah had come to a place of repentance. And once Jonah came to that place of repentance, God was able to use him. 
We have to understand that God sees things that we don't. We have to learn to see things from God's point of view. You don't know what's going on in a person's life. When God tells you to go step out and talk to somebody, you go, I don't know if I have the right words for that. You don't know what's already going on in their heart. There's a, there's a missionary, I don't, remember, I don't remember which missionary it was, that I was listening to his cassette tape growing up, and he told the story that he went to a gas station, and he was pumping gas at the pump, and he felt the Holy Ghost impress upon him that he needs to witness to the cashier. So he goes inside, and he, said, he asked the cashier, he said, Do you, are you a Christian? And she reached down and pulled her Bible out. She said, somebody just gave me this, and I've been trying to read it, but I don't understand. Same individual, different gas station. Went into a gas station, said to the cashier, he felt like he was supposed to talk to that cashier. And he, and he, said, he said, I think we have an appointment. The cashier says, excuse me? He said, God told me that we have an appointment. And the cashier said, I, I, I don't know about all of that. And the person behind him says, I want to hear more about God. And he's a wrong person. Turns around and he says, I have an appointment with you. <laughs> <laughs> the story's funny. But, but put yourself in those shoes. If you were at the gas station, the Holy Ghost said, ask the cashier if they know about the Holy Ghost. Ask the cashier if they've been baptized in Jesus' name. You might feel a little overwhelmed. Well, I mean, I mean, there's a lot to that. You ask, are you baptized in Jesus' name? That's kind of a loaded question. You know, maybe they were baptized. Um, maybe they, you know, maybe they, they, they think they were baptized in Jesus' name. Maybe they don't understand the purpose of baptism. What does the word baptism even mean? To them? And so our own anxieties can take over us. But we have to be sensitive to what God wants us to do and find those opportunities to just put it on the table for people. Hey, this is who God is. This is what God's done for me. This is what God can do for you. And if it's not received, at least you put it out there. At least you did your part. But we have to be sensitive to what God is wanting us to do and learn to see things and to trust God than when we can't see things from his point of view. The last story that I wanted to get into was the story of David. If you go to 1 Samuel 17, 26. <clears throat> 1 Samuel 17, 26. David has just come out to the battle lines. And he sees this giant Goliath come marching forth from the Philistine side, cursing God and cursing the Israelites. And David spoke to the men standing by him, starting in verse 26, <coughs> saying, What shall be done for the man that killeth the Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? I want to dig into the two questions that David just asked here. David's trying to wrap his mind around this. David's trying to unpack this situation. He's a 17-year-old boy, shows up to the battle lines, and he's looking at the battle that everybody's facing. 
And the second question he says here is, for who is this uncircumcised Philistine? For who is he? What, he, what he's asking when you put those words in a different order in modern English is, who does he think he is? David, the 17-year-old boy, looked at this nine-foot giant that was shooting his mouth off and said, who does he think he is? There's a lot of, there's a lot of giants that we see in our life. And we cower. We go, oh, you, you can't touch that. You can't touch politics. You can't, you can't touch, touch this corruption. You can't touch that corruption. Who am I? Who am I? Who am I? But David says, who does he think he is? And David starts calling this into question. And continuing in verse 28, And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake, what he was saying. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why comest thou hither? And with whom hast thou left the few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and thy naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down, thou mightest see the battle. And David said, what have I done? Is there not a cause? So his brother is saying, I know the reason you're here. You're just trying to pretend to be big and tough. I know what you're really trying to do. He's questioning David. And David's like, what's, what's your problem? Like, what, did I do something to you? And he turned him towards another and spake after the same manner. And the people answered him again with the former manner. So the whole band of Israel, the whole army of Israel, you can even call them an army. They're, now they're all telling David, you're too small, you're too little, you don't understand the battle. And when the words were heard which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul, and he sent for him. So David came out to these battle lines, looks at this nine-foot giant, and says, who does he think he is? And the entire world around him said, who do you think you are to question them? Why do you think that, it's in you, that you've got any power in this situation? And even King Saul tries to reach out to David. And tries to talk David out of going to battle with this giant. Despite the whole world telling David he was wrong, David saw things from God's eyes. David recognized that Goliath was in opposition to his God. David knew that whether he goes out there with a bunch of armor or a slingshot, it was going to be God's battle. They tried dressing him up in a bunch of armor, and, and David's going, I don't, like, why? I've never used this stuff before. I don't know this stuff. I don't need it. This isn't my battle. Church, we have to resign ourselves to, it's not our battle. It's God's battle. And if that's what God wants us to do, we have to be okay with, with laying ourselves down. We have to be okay with taking risk of our own hurt. When we know that it's God's battle, when we know that somebody's coming up against God. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defiled. And in the very next verse, here it is. This day will the Lord deliver thee into my hand. That's the powerful statement right there. David understood 
that it was going to be by God's hand that Goliath was going to be delivered into his. That it was going to be God's power that delivered the Philistines into the hand of the Israelites. David wasn't going out there to puff himself up. David wasn't going out there with pride. David knew that what he was about to do was going to be by the hand of God and by the hand of God alone. And he says, I will smite thee and take thy head from thee, and I'll give thy carcass to the host of the Philistines this day and the fowls of the air, and to the wild beasts of the earth, and all the earth will may know that there is a God in Israel. I know I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, and I'm going to bring it up again now. What David is saying there is that there's only one way that we win this war, and that's if God does it. And if none of you chicken livers are going to go fight this battle, then I will go out there. Because God just needs a mouthpiece. God just needs somebody to step out and do the physical part so God can do the rest. And if it wasn't impossible, we would have never heard about it. If it wasn't a crazy impossible story, it wouldn't be memorable. We don't talk about the fact that we get up every day with breath in our lungs and we eat our breakfast because we've got food in our fridge because we see the path for that. It's not a miracle. But this was a miracle that this nine-foot giant was brought down by this 17-year-old boy. God's ways are greater than our ways and his thoughts are above his thoughts and we have to yield to that. God has a plan for your life. God feeds the birds, but he doesn't throw the worms in the nests. We have to take that step out and we have to do that work ourselves. We have to reach out and take what God wants to do for us. We have to accept and do our part and let God do his part. When David went to fight Goliath, he stopped and picked up five stones. Why? Well, first of all, slingshot's no good without any rocks. Some people have speculated different reasons why he picked up five. I don't think it was because he didn't trust God, but he was preparing himself. He understood that a giant this big, it might take more than five. It might take more than just one. You might have to hit him a couple times. We have to to come to the battle prepared. We have to prepare ourselves. We have to get in the word. We have to be prayed up. Because as we keep reading the word, and we keep studying it, it strengthens us. It builds our repertoire of knowledge. I'm using that word, pronouncing that word properly. It empowers us to be able to speak the word into other people's lives. The, the book is the answer to the world's problems, and we have to be able to share that with people. God's calling each and every one of us to do something for him. For some people, it might just be keeping the church clean. For some people, it might be preaching. For some people, it might be accounting. God's got a special purpose for every single person. And God will use you in whatever avenues you allow him to, whatever avenues you're capable of. Listen to God's voice in your life. Listen for his voice in your life. Listen to what he wants to say to you through his word. Listen to what he wants to say to you through preaching. There might be a still small unction in your heart. Mm, I don't know if I should do that or maybe I should do that. Listen to God. Listen to what he has to say to you. Seek after him. He will guide you. The devil likes to throw you all kinds of excuses. I'm too busy right now. Don't have the money. Do it later. I don't know how. Maybe when my circumstances get better. I would, but I've got this problem. I've got that problem. 
Remember, when you feel inadequate, it's all God's plan. Let's all stand. It's all God's plan. We have to yield to what God wants to do. I want to briefly remind you of a personal story that I've told many times when I broke my glasses in faith, hoping that God would heal my eyes. That act started a chain reaction that led to me no longer having headaches. By me making taking that step of faith, it led to a chain reaction. It wasn't that step of faith. It wasn't what I did that fixed the problem, but it was the result of what I did that fixed the problem. If God's leading you to step out and do something, yield to that and hear him out on what he has to say. As we go to prayer, remember, it's never going to be 2024 again. Ask God what he would have you to do this year. And as he guides you, trust him and see things his way. Oh, thank you, Jesus. God, I thank you, Lord, for bringing us together this morning. God, guide our steps, Lord. Guide our hearts. Guide our minds, Lord.